Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by legendary boxing analyst and founder of the Dr. Atlas Foundation on Staten Island, the great Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? Hey, Ken, how's Tennessee treating you? Um, <laughs> it's cold. Yeah, a lot of snow. It's, it, the, it's cold across the country. It's amazing. The Texas, all these people, we we hope all these people are okay. Uh and going to be yep. okay that have been suffering in, in places where they're just not used to this kind of frigid weather. Hope to God everybody yeah. is, is going to be all right. Yeah, very serious in Texas. Yeah, very serious. Uh, we say a prayer for all those people. Um, your kids enjoying Tennessee, the volunteers and all that stuff, and the Titans? and. Oh, yeah. We didn't, ex- we didn't expect to be uh, potential Olympic bobsledders when we came here, but they've spent a lot of time sledding on the golf course, so uh, <laughs> maybe we found a new career for them. Hey, listen, if Jamaica can have a bobsled team, um, Tennesseans can too. <laughs> Believe me. Yeah, no doubt. Well, listen, Teddy, we had a busy, busy weekend in boxing. Lots of good action, to be honest. A uh, bunch of, U- bunch of uh, boxing cards, a UFC card. Let's jump right into it with the uh, potential knockout of the year with Oscar Valdez and Miguel Burchelt. Big upset for the young Oscar Valdez. Eddie Reynoso and company keep the train rolling uh, down in San Diego. That camp has been unbelievable. They had Canelo with the win in December, Ryan Garcia with the win in January, and now Oscar Valdez scores a major upset in February. Those guys are on a roll. What would you think of the fight? Well, I mean, another example of what I've talked about many times where when you got two tough guys... Uh, you know, most boxers, most UFC fighters, MMA fighters, all combat sports, they're tough. I mean, that's usually a prerequisite. But when you got two tough guys and you got one who's smarter, he becomes tougher. He becomes better. And that was the case, you know, with Valdez. Um, he was a little smarter. And and it also goes to the point that bigger's not always better. You know, where he's a... What about the smaller guy being better that he's faster, that he's smarter, that he's trickier? <laughs> what about that? What about the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the golden eras of boxing? It reminds me of that when you had all those catchweight fights where you had my favorite fight of all time in the 20s, uh, Sam Langford, the great Sam Langford, 300 fights, over 100 knockouts. He, he fought from lightweight to heavyweight and beat everybody. Beat everybody. Smaller, but smarter, you know, uh, more experienced, uh, you know, was able to adapt to things, find a plan B, find the counter to the size, use other assets that were able to overcome the size of the opponent. And it's just a reminder of this great sport that there's always been smaller guys beating bigger guys. Everyone made a big deal about Burchelt you know, being a bigger, stronger guy. But again, in, in the sweet science, this great sport that was dubbed the sweet science, there's ways to overcome those, those obstacles, those advantages. It reminded me a little bit in some cases, if you want to go big against small, small against big, Manny Pacquiao, when nobody really knew who Manny Pacquiao was or how good he was when he beat Oscar De La Hoya, you know, the golden boy. And everyone said, oh, De La Hoya is going to be too big. Well, Pacquiao beat the crap out of him. He was too fast. <laughs> so uh, uh, there's a history. 
uh, the, when I look at it. And also what, it, what struck me to give it the real breakdown for the fans out there, what struck me was Bert Schell almost took for granted he was going to win the fight. I mean, both of them showed tremendous heart. I mean, Bert Schell, tremendous heart. Let me applaud him for that heart to, to, to stay as long as he did in that fight. Uh, incredible heart. Incredible. The heart of a lion, the heart of a champion. But he, it seemed like, when I say took for granted, everyone would say he was a four to one favorite, three and a half to one favorite, whatever it was. But everybody was saying, you know, he's going to win. And he almost felt like he walked into that fight that he was just going to walk the guy down and win, like everybody thought. Like there was no real definitive fight plan for Burchell that I saw. It's just that he was applying pressure as the bigger guy and he was going to wear down, which could have, it looked like it could have happened, but he was going to wear down a smaller guy by pressing, 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 you know, and then eventually getting to him. And other than that, I didn't see a plan, but I saw a plan with Valdez. Use your legs. The bigger, stronger guy can't be the bigger, stronger guy if you don't let him get set. If you keep him off balance. You don't let him get his pins under him where he can be the bigger, stronger guy, deliver the bigger, stronger punches. He kept him off of balance all night and used his jab beautifully. So it was the pressure of Burchelt those early rounds against the legs and jab of Valdez. And again, Valdez had a definitive plan. I'm going to move to the side. I'm going to keep him off balance. I'm going to use my jab and to I eventually find a way to hurt him find something out, which he found with the left hook. And I had tweeted, you know I'm a big tweeter now, Ken, and um, <laughs> I saw you, you know, me and my man Rob, and I'm, I, I put him up, he sends him out, you know? And he, I, I had said that there was a point during those early rounds where I used to say this on ESPN when I was calling the fights, I said, it looked like Valdez was that superintendent in a building that they used to carry those big brass rings with all the, with all the <laughs> keys, you know, with like a thousand keys on them for all the doors they had to open up in their building, right? Or two buildings, whatever they were in charge of. So I said, he looks like a super with that big brass ring of keys and he's looking for the right key to get in the door. And right now the key that he found was the key to the jabs. So he's, he, and he's, and he's looking for another key to get in and, to get in another door, and finally he found it. Bang, left hook. He found the key for the left hook. But it all got set up by the leg movement and the jab. And the other thing that I would have said if I was going to fights was, yeah, you got an advantage if you know how to use it when you're the taller, bigger guy on the outside as the taller guy. But once the shorter guy gets close to you, there's a disadvantage if you're standing straight up. And Birchfeld, nobody mentioned it, but Birchfeld, he, he stood straight up. And then once you get into that range as a smaller man, now there is a danger in being taller if you're standing straight up. Because like I used to say, it's like being in front of a skyscraper. There's a lot of windows to break, Ken. <laughs> There's a lot of windows to break. And he started breaking windows with that left hook. And and then he gets hurt. I forget what round. What was it, the fourth round when he got hurt? Fourth round. Yeah. And listen, what saved him, of course, is great heart. But what saved Burchell 
was the referee jumping in with the A count, which which he was right because the rope did keep him up. So that rules there. So he jumped in, that saved him. And then I think Valdez would have gotten rid of him or could have gotten rid of him earlier if he went to the body. Yeah. Because when a guy's hurt, instincts take over. What do you do? You go into you go into survival mode. You start moving your head. You're, 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 you're trying to survive. And so when you're moving your head, if you go to the body, that freezes the head. Bang! That freezes the head moving. Then you can go back up top. So Valdez went head hunting, and he didn't go to the body. If he would have placed a good body shot in that spot there in the fourth round, I think he might have got rid of Burchell right there because it would have frozen. Not only that, but I thought he almost punched himself out because Burchell came back, was still hurt at the beginning of the fifth, but then started to pick it up, I think, late in the fifth and started to look good. And Valdez, it looked like, took a round or two to get get his win back. I yeah, thought he and, punched himself out. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. It's a good observation. I think you're right, Ken. And But also was part of the thinking process. He was thinking, was saying, okay, let me save a little. Let me not burn myself out. Let me... And and when I say the thinking, the tangible proof to it was he was tying him up on the inside. Like That was part of the plan, too. When the bigger guy got inside where he could maybe use his strength, go to the body, he tied him up. The smaller man tied him up. No accident. They planned that. They, they planned that. You plan those things if you're a decent trainer in a gym. You work on those things, and you, and you execute them at the right time. And you're prepared to execute them. He was prepared to execute them. And then... Another smart thing during those spots that you're right, that Birch felt was making a little bit of a run back into the fight was that Valdez would switch southpaw every once in a while. That that got him back that got him back on track too. Where that little switch of southpaw gave just a little pause to the pressure that was coming. A little break to the pressure that was coming and starting to um, build up again from Birchfeld. That southpaw switch broke it up. Broke it up. It was brilliant. I thought I, those things might have went a little on miss, but I appreciated them very much, and I thought it was brilliant. Um, it was orchestrated really, really brilliantly. And and then, of course, every once in a while when Birchfeld looked like he might be climbing back, then he would hurt him with a... He'd come out early and hurt him with a punch, you know, and and get back in control once again. And look, truth be said, the guy was fighting probably on instinct and and fumes, um, fumes of instinct, fumes of of you know uh, what's in your head before fight that you must find a way, you must not be defeated, you must not be conquered. Fighters put that in their head, and it's like it's like he was fighting as a, a man walking in his sleep almost, like a dead man walking. Like he, because he was gone. He was, I mean, all the cognitive abilities of him were damaged. They were compromised severely, severely. If that was any other sport, including football, and someone was staggering around like that, even after the knockout, knockdown in the fourth round, they would have said, nope, you're out of here. He's, he was sidelined for weeks because he was in such bad shape. He never got his legs back. Every time he got hit with that hook, he was like on spaghetti legs. Ken, Ken to speaking to that, I mean, if you get right down to the medical stuff of it, we're not doctors, but I've been in the sport my whole life and been around plenty of doctors, and I, he was concussed. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to get right down to it and not avoid <coughs> these, these strong words, hey, it's a strong sport. It's a strong life. Strong words go with a strong sport and a strong life. They go along with it. And he was concussed. <laughs> so here's a guy that, you know, he's in that kind of difficult shape <coughs> all night after the fourth round, and he's still hanging in there, and um, he's still trying to find a way. And again, what is that? What is that? It's heart, it's guts, it's instinct. It's the desire not to be conquered, not to be conquered. That just, I, I don't want to be conquered. And almost like where the, the, it's almost like a ghost ship, <laughs> a ghost ship out at sea that, that it's still traveling. And meanwhile, the crew's gone. <laughs> you know, the, the, the crew's gone, yet the ship continues to move on its own, almost by ghosts, by spirits, by the human spirit in this case, continues to move the body, continues to move the body, even though everybody at the helm is gone. They're gone. There's nobody there. It's really incredible if you really get into it. And we, we talk about with the UFC guys, and we, and we saw it here with this guy. And then, look, you could also make an argument that the fight should have been stopped. I agree. That there were that there were times there where it's the responsibility of the corner, the doctor too, that, that commission over there, um, the doctor, that's why they're there. That's the main reason why they're there. The doctor, the referee, that somebody, somebody at some point should have recognized kind of what we're talking about a little bit here. And saw that there was no more zip on his punches, talking about Birchout. There was really no more. A lot of the cognitive skills, abilities were damaged, compromised, as I just said a moment ago. And that really the hope to win was, was pretty much just, it's gone. It's extinguished. And, and that the only thing left was that he's going to go until he, he can't go until he's knocked out cold, which happened. And is, is it, are we supposed to, is it worth that? Are we supposed to let that happen if we're the people in charge of that department of making sure a guy doesn't go beyond the realm of where he could really get hurt? There's always an inherent danger, but, but then those people are there. It could have ended a lot worse. If you watch it again, when he gets knocked out, he's going face down, and the ref breaks his fall just slightly, thank God, which, which allowed for his head not to bounce off the canvas. But should he, he have been there? Out. No, 100%. But should Def he have No, been? no, I don't think so. I thought they should have stopped it. That's the thing. And then to finish up on that, as far as the brilliance of the guy who won, Valdez, when you have a guy, dead man walking, so to speak, you know, I know it's strong graphic terms, but we're in a strong graphic sport. Um, when you got a guy who's out on his feet to a lot of, you know, in, in a lot of ways that we've just described, and he's just, he, he's just on instinct, what happens, Ken? The cognitive abilities are damaged. You could see he can't punch really good anymore. His legs aren't there really anymore. And what happens, Ken? He follows the guy. Because all in his mind is, 
I got to get to him. I got to get to him. It's no more about how to get to him. Like, I got to faint. I got to I gotta make a miss first. I got to step to the side. I got to move my head. It's not that anymore. That's what it's supposed to be in, in this sport. When that's gone, you got a problem. You got a problem. So I'm just saying, I'm praising them for what's there, but I'm just pointing it out that those things, you got to recognize those things if you're the ref, if you're the corner. And those things aren't there. What happens is, you got a guy just following, following, like hoping to get to where, wherever, just just trying to get there. And as he's following, the right thing to do is walk him into a punch. And that's what Valdez did. See, I'm not missing that either. That's not just a punch. He let him walk right in because he saw the condition he was in. Guy just coming forward in a reckless, aggressive fashion. And an uncontrolled he was no longer in control of the skills that you need to be in control at that level of boxing. No longer in control of those skills. So he's just walking forward. So he let him walk forward. Bang! Walked him right into a left hook. And the end of the story. Awesome win for Valdez and uh, Team Reynoso. Great job by Valdez. I'd be curious to see what's next for him. There's some talk about him possibly fighting Shakur Stevenson. Uh, man, I would love to see that fight. Um, on the undercard, Gabe Flores beats Jason Velez. Good-looking prospect out of Stockton, California. T- moves to 20-0. and What would you think of that one? I thought you got a good-looking prospect there in, in Flores. 20-year-old kid fighting against Velez. He got a nice win. Only the second guy to stop, to stop this kid, Velez, uh, who also got stopped coincidentally by Valdez and Valdez took a few rounds longer to do it um, so it's a nice win, he's a good looking fighter but for me if I'm going to do a report card on him he would be helped by adding something to his counterpunching game because he's a pure counterpuncher and if you love that style hey, you love him, you love him you know, I'm but and I'm not saying that's the most electric style or the most bond burning style or the the one that brings the people that turns to turn styles for the fans all the time. But hey, Mayweather did pretty good with that style. So um <laughs> but he he is a that's his temperament, that's his makeup, that's you know, what he physically does. He looks to counter. Um there were spots in that fight where he was having a little trouble when he was just looking for the counter, where he didn't have a front-end game. You know, for me, the counter-punching is the back-end. But the front-end game is setting up offense on your own. I would just work with the kid, I would think, to add to that for two reasons. One, for just the competitive reasons of being in the ring. Some night you're going to need that. The counter-punching might not be enough. Um just strictly for the fight, for the win, but also for the part I touched on, for the fan appeal, that, you know, to get more fans to to go through that turnstile, uh, where you work a little bit more on creating the offense sometimes. Now, look, there were spots where he got off first. There were spots where he timed Velez. Uh, yeah, so that's that's doing it, but i just like to see it a little better, a little more consistent. Um that's all. And a little bit more, like I said, of devising ways to create his own offense when it's not necessarily there on the counterpunching front. Um, other than that, I'm looking at the notes that I made. 
I I like the kid. I mean, you know, he's 20 years old. I mean, you know, and uh, like I said, he can learn to do that. He's just going to add to himself. But he's a good-looking prospect. 20 years old already with 20, 20 professional wins. Um, that was on ESPN, that card. A great job. That was actually real, one of the better cards I've seen from them since the pandemic started. But over on uh, Showtime on the Broner undercard, we had uh, Dominic Brazil and Otto Valin, uh, trained by the great Joey Gamach. Valin put on a, a boxing exhibition, like you said in one of your um, tweets. Uh, Valin is very good at painting by numbers, not necessarily a great Picasso. He's not really improvising or doing anything super creative out there, but um, he did what he had to do against Dominic Brazil. Dominic Brazil was just there to get hit all night, which he did, and um, Valin cruises to the victory. What'd you notice there, aside from, uh, sorry to steal your thunder, but I love that tweet about paint by numbers. No, thank you. Uh, listen, uh, at least again, it's nice to see people that actually give credit to the people that are saying things that don't just say <laughs> it as their own thoughts. Um, unoriginal, original. That's I might start that shirt. Unoriginal, original. I like the sound of that. Obviously, some people like to do that, but look, um, he he's it goes to show you, Ken, in anything, any vocation in life. We're talking about combat right now. But any vocation, if you're just good, solid technically at what you do, that you paint by the colors, so to speak, that, that you cross your T's, you dot your I's, um, you're prepared, and you're just fundamentally solid, you're going to do pretty good. And here's a guy in Valine, he's a southpaw, by the way, too. So here's a guy who's got that going for him. That helps. Not a lot of southpaws out there in heavyweight division. First southpaw heavyweight champ of all time, Michael Mora. I'll give him a little shout out. <laughs> always thinking about my, always thinking about my man Michael. And you know, if you just rudimentally solid, you're gonna be good. And in the heavyweight division nowadays, you know. If we're not talking about the days of Ali and Frazier, hey, we got good guys here today. Don't I'm not knocking them, but we're not talking about those guys. You know, we're not going back to Joe Lewis and Marciano and you know and all those guys and Ezra Charles and Jersey Joe Walker. But if you are solid technically, which Waleen is, you're gonna beat a lot of guys. You're gonna do. You're gonna do good. You're gonna do good and. There's, a, there's almost no one there that you can't be in a fight with. At least be in a fight with in the heavyweight division nowadays. If you're just, if, first of all, you got to have the size. That helps. So he's got the size. He's a southpaw on top of it. And he's really solid. He doesn't do one thing great. He's not, oh, my God, he's so fast. Oh, my God, he's such a big puncher. Oh, my God, look at that footwork, the way he changes angles, the way. No. But he does everything well because he's got a good teacher in Joey Gamash, who I who I trained towards the end of his career um, a little bit. But he, and he's a decent man, and he's doing a good job with him, and you could see it. It's tangible. It's tangible. You could see the teaching the, where he is working off of that slate. He is working off of that script of being just solid in the fundamental areas with a jab, move his head, counter, 
you know, understand distance, range, keep your balance, you know, um, be in good position, proper position. The only thing I'd say he does wrong sometimes maybe is he allows his range to get a little too close where sometimes he's in range where the other guy can find him. Where he could maybe pull it out just a little bit, pull it out a little bit. And when he goes out, he disengages is great. But when he disengages, it could be from a little further distance. Sometimes he'll disengage from about five, six inches, maybe four, five, six inches too close. Whereas he's disengaging, he could get caught. And there will be guys that'll look to, hey, take this with you. <laughs> Remember Richard Pryor, the great comedian? I, 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 God bless him, right? The great, la- I loved him. I really loved him. And he would talk about Ali and Fraser and say, I hope. I, I went, well, I, I was around, I think it was Frazier. He said, I was around Joe Fra- and he started shadow boxing. I, I got a little nervous. I said, what, what happens if he has a flashback? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just it's stuff like that. What if he gets a flare? What if somebody rings a bell? And he just, you know, just he was funny. So, uh, and he would talk about, yeah, guys like Joe Frazier, you're, you're fighting him, the problem with fighting a guy like Joe Frazier as you're leaving, he says, here, take this with you. <laughs> you know? And, and, and that, that's the thing that I would think about a little bit uh, with that. But Joey's, you know, that you're not going out from too close where you could get caught on the way out. But listen, Gamage doing a tremendous job with him. And again, just fundamentally solid makes him a player, makes him a top player in today's heavyweight division where there's nobody that he's really that you could say, oh, my God, he's got no chance. No, not true at all. He, you know, he's got a chance with anybody. Well, and my friend, my friend is his manager, David Berlin, who, uh, who's uh, one of the attorneys that does all the, like my daughter and Keith Sullivan does all the pro bono work for my charity foundation and um, done it for years and great people, great people. And he's one of the managers of... Uh, of Waleen. So I'm very, he's in good hands. He's in good hands from the management side, obviously from the promotional and, and training side. And uh, hey, he's, ever since that Fury fight, when he shocked everybody by going to, going to distance with him, uh, he's, he's made a name for himself and he continues to do that. He busted up Fury pretty good too. If the roll, if the shoe was on the other foot, that fight would have been stopped one hundred percent. You kidding me? I mean, the the cut was about this big, right? I mean, it was it was, it, yeah. it was as good as bad as it gets. I mean, you got you got a cut like this big. I mean, like you said, <laughs> if it's if it's on Waleen, it's over. We're not even talking about Waleen no more, you know. But not even it's a on question. it's no on time. one of the stars of the sport, and he gets you know he gets protected so. It's okay. Hey, listen, Fury, I'll finish with this. Have Since we stepped into that, Fury showed unbelievable heart that night too and and really was a dress rehearsal for what he was going to do in the rematch against Wilder. He had never shown that dimension before, really, no, yeah. to that level. He'd been a boxer, a guy, big guy, didn't fight like a big guy, big guy that fought like a light Wait, you know, moving around, using his legs, terrific skills, unbelievable, ballet, whoa, you know, doing all that stuff. Uh, hey, baby, I feel like Dick Vitale. Hey, baby, look at that dish and wish and moving, you know. And he's, <laughs> and that's what we, we expected from Fury 
when it was the unexpected at first being that his size would tell you something else or suggest something else. But then against Waleen with that cut, it got into desperate waters, new waters for him, and he had to go get it. And he did. He went and got it. He just pressed forward, and he won the fight. And then, I don't know if that made a light go off in his head, but then he said, oh, maybe I can use this in my rematch against Mr. Wilder and back him up instead of moving to keep that powerful punch, you know, away from me and, you know, in the holster and don't let him pull it out of the holster. Instead of keeping it out of the holster by moving, I'd do it by backing him up. And he did. Yep. Well, we go from great boxing champions and prospects and fights to boxing's biggest court jester and sideshow, Adrian Broner. Adrian Broner gets a decision over uh, Giovanni Santiago uh, in a fight that he could have easily, probably should have lost. Um, just to give you an example of how incredibly incompetent the judging was adrian broner won the first round i think on two of the three judges scorecards without landing one single punch not that you heard me right not he didn't land a single punch won the round um after the fight uh he went on an interview with brian custer i was pretty disappointed i like brian custer but uh, Broner went on there and started cursing and swearing about um, Steve Farhood for for showing that he thought that Broner lost the fight. And Custer just kind of like took it in stride. I mean, I, I was super disappointed that Custer didn't defend Farhood. Um, nevertheless, let's deal with the fight for us. Adrian Broner gets the decision in a fight he probably should have lost. I, I don't think he looked good. He was he barely threw punches through most of the fight. What do you think on uh, of the fight itself? I think that if I, if I, if there is an afterlife, and I come back as a fighter, I want Al Heyman. <laughs> I want Al Heyman to to. Uh, I like Al Heyman, but but seriously, I want Al Heyman to uh, promote and manage, advise. He does all. He wears all the hats, but I like him to manage me because it's incredible. It's incredible what he what he's doing for his fighters, and in particular, uh, this fighter. You know, with the networks that Heyman controls or works with, he's able to get guys back and get them into significant paydays, significant fights. You know, when it looks like they're ready, you know, to go out to pasture, or when when it looks like the ship has sailed already on their career, or at least on part of their career. I mean, Broner has lost all his big fights. You know, you'll help me with them if I forget some of them. But, I mean, to, to whether it's to Thurman, whether it's to Madonna, whether it's to, of course, Garcia. Um, he had a draw with Valdez. I think it was Valdez. But uh, whatever. But all his fights at that level that you expect, if the guy's a superstar, you expect him to win at that level, you know, like the Mayweather State, right? And like the Canelos do, you know, and, and like the Spencers do, and, and like the Crawfords do, whatever. Not that they've had that many signature fights yet, so I, I, I'll check myself a little bit. But you expect them to win at that level. Well, Brona hasn't. He hasn't. And he's come up short at that level, right? So here's a guy... He, and he signs a contract for Warden 40. He comes in at 146. I mean, a lot of fighters, they, they got big problems when they do that. But not here. 
Not here. Not here. Not when you have Uncle Al. <laughs> you got Uncle Al, uh, you know, taking care of you, and you still get you still get a big fight. They just changed the contract. All right, we'll change the contract. We'll we'll, we'll make it one forty six, and you know, and um, I guess you pay a little extra money to to the opponent Santiago uh, to go along with it, and now it's a one forty seven instead of one forty fight. No problem breaking the contract and not making a wait. Where well, there's a problem for the fighters. Listen, I know a lot of managers, a lot of fighters, personally that are not happy with just seeing it because they just feel like there's other guys out there that have earned the right to get those fights, to get those, to to fill in those dance cards, so to speak, and to get in those slots. There's not a lot of those slots available. And there's less and less now in the world of boxing. So you're, you're given one of those slots to make money, to, to, to make a name, to be a name, uh, you know, to have the glory, uh, you know, to be on a network. You're giving one of them to a guy who has lost at that level, who ha- has not made the weight, who has had all kinds of problems outside the ring, and he continues to get second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. And again, a lot of guys that just feel like there's fighters that are better deserving of those chances. And I'll go a step further, that'll make better fights because, listen, we know he's a talented guy, but at what point, at what point do you say, let go of that, that he's got talent? At what point do you say, wait a minute, there's a lot of people that have talent and they actually realize the talent. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a little different having talent and, and then actually realizing the full talent. Uh, it's a little two different things here. A lot of guys have talent, but at some point you say, hey, he didn't use it. He, he, for, for his own devices, his own blame, whatever, but it, he, didn't, he didn't show it. He didn't bring it. And and you move on. But there's no moving on with Rona. He's like, I think they should give him the name like the Teflon fighter. Be- like like John Gotti had the Teflon Don where where no cases would stick to him, where he would survive all cases. He, he would still be around, you know, until he wasn't around, of course. You know, that happens in that business. But uh, for a while there, where he, he, was always, he was always coming back. He was always finding a way to, to beat the case. Nothing could be done to him. He was untouchable. You know, not in the way that, you know, that we think of untouchable in boxing in a defensive way like Mayweather or Pernell Whitaker. Just that you, you couldn't do anything to get rid of the guy. <laughs> you couldn't do nothing to get rid of the guy. He's the Teflon fighter. You know, he, he, Uncle Al keeps bringing him back and taking care of him and, and um, protecting him. They're, they're, for whatever, but but Uncle Al takes care of his fighters. He's got his group of fighters, and they do get taken care of. That's one thing. So um, at the end of the day, breaking it down, I think if we're going to be honest about it, I had to say that to be honest about it. And look, um, sometimes I almost feel sorry for Broner. I know people are going to probably can't believe I say that. But there's nothing to feel sorry because he keeps getting these opportunities. I, I make that clear. But there's something unhappy in this kid. There's something that's not happy and and not being taken care of, whatever you want to call it. And 
you, you worry about a kid like that sometimes a little bit. I know that a lot of people say, Teddy, there's other people that are more deserving to be worried about. Just like your f- fighters have said, there's other people more deserving of those slots. I get it. I do. I get it. I understand. I'm just telling you that sometimes you almost feel like there's, there's a kid that wants to be better, but he just he loses the battle and yep. uh, with being better. And at, yeah. at the end of the day, what happened in the ring, again, Uncle Al and his networks that, that obviously he, he has sway with, Fox and, and Showtime, they allow him to get put in with very favorable opposition. I got to be honest. I mean, take nothing away from Santiago. A lot of people thought he won the fight. Okay. Um, my, you could say that he won the fight. You'd say maybe a draw or he won the fight. Whatever you want to say. But Santiago, a game guy, came to win, came to fight, behaves like a fighter, but a slow-footed guy, a guy who's not a puncher, a guy who's predictable, a guy who's one-dimensional. Do I got to say any more? I'm just saying that you could have put him in a lot more difficult spots. Yeah. And to come back after all this, all this, right, that we documented, to give Brona a fight with a favorable, appealing opponent that you can beat, that you're supposed to beat if you want to go that far. Uh, wow. And that's what he had. That's what he had. Again, taking nothing away. San Diego's a, a tough kid. But everything else I said is true too. And so you give him an opponent that's a very winnable fight for him. Right? And what does he do? He loses the early rounds. He gets out hustled. I don't think anyone could argue that. He gets that hustled, and then he comes on late, and they wound up giving the fight. But what really happened is not indicative of the scores. That's the problem I have. I don't have a problem with a draw or one point here or there, but I have a problem with those judges' scores because if you look at their scores, well, Santiago never got in the ring. (laughs) <laughs> there was only one guy in the ring that night <laughs> you and me were seeing a mirage yeah. we thought we saw two guys Ken Ken really you gotta be careful with that cameo T it could do funny things we we thought we saw <laughs> we thought we saw two guys we didn't see two guys there was only there was only Broner in there shadow boxing that was it yep. there wasn't two, because if you go according to these judges yeah I'm calling you out again yeah you deserve to be caught out again. Okay? So, anyway, they, if you go according to the judge, there was only one guy in the ring. There was one guy in the ring that night uh, because th- they sure as heck weren't watching the fight. Not the fight that was on. Not the fight that we were watching. So, and either way, I'm just, give it to, go ahead, give it to him if you want. Give it to Broner. I'm, I'm not going to go crazy, but not with those scores. Not with those yeah. scores. So, uh, and, and Broner, what did he do all night? Look, for everyone with all the potential, all this, all that, right? He threw one punch at a time, for the most part. 90% of the time, he threw one. If you really look at it, he threw one punch at a time, almost all night long. Very rarely did he, did he break off two, three 
bunches. You don't even you don't even have to really look at it. You just have to watch the fight. It was blatantly obvious when he did throw a punch. It was one at a time, trying to counter punch him, trying to time him. It was it was horrible. If there's a boxing god out there, please. Let this kid get in the ring next with Regis Progray, please. They keep calling for each other. Oh, just let him get in there with a real opponent for once, with a real fighter, and let Regis handle his business. I, I think it would be a, a complete and total whitewash, and we won't have to see this anymore. Um, nevertheless, I digress. No, we uh, no, it's okay. Hey guys, just want to take a quick pause to give a thank you to today's sponsors. We're very excited to have Amp Human working with us. Amp Human is a human performance company dedicated to helping people unlock their potential. Their latest innovation, D-Plus Lotion, is a first-of-its-kind gel-based lotion that delivers vitamin D directly through your skin. With limited sunlight during winter and more time indoors, there's never been a more important time to supplement with vitamin D. Uh, full disclosure, I use this stuff every single day. Uh, I travel with it. Uh, I'm outside for a couple hours every day, either running or biking, and I still am deficient in vitamin D, especially during a COVID pandemic. You want to make sure that you're supplementing with vitamin D. Um just two pumps applied to the inner forearms contains 5,000 IU of vitamin D3. It boosts your immunity, improves your sleep quality, and supports brain function. All the claims are backed by two clinical, two different clinical trials uh, that prove it's highly effective. Through your skin is really the best and easiest way to get vitamin D. To check it out and get a special offer, be sure to visit amphuman.com slash atlas. That's A-T-L-A-S. Use promo code ATLAS to get 15% off your D-plus lotion today. Again, that's amphuman.com slash ATLAS. Use promo code ATLAS to get 15% off your D-plus lotion today. Today's program is also brought to you by Athletic Greens, the all-in-one daily drink to support better health and peak performance. I love Athletic Greens. Once again, I take it all the time. I travel with it. I never miss a day. Honestly, I know people out there are going to say, oh, this is an ad. No, no, I use this stuff. They work with us because Rob and I are big supporters and big users of the product. We reach out to them. They've been a pleasure to deal with. These guys spent 10 years with top nutritionists and doctors to create this formula. It's made from 75 whole food sourced ingredients. It's got vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, and antioxidants. It really is like an insurance po policy for your body's health and immunity. It's literally all you need to stay on top of your immunity. With 12 servings of fruits and vegetables, there's no need for multivitamins or whatever else you might be taking. Athletic Greens has you covered. Athletic Greens has given our listeners 10 free travel packs with their first order. So whether you're looking to boost your energy levels, support your immune system, or address gut health, Athletic Greens is the way to go. Simply visit athleticgreens.com atlas to claim an offer of 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. Again, that's athleticgreens.com atlas. Did you get a chance to see the highlights of the um, UFC heavyweight main event on Saturday? Derek Lewis and uh, Curtis Blades. With that, with that knockout, that uh, underdog, yeah, yeah. huge, sensational, unbelievable yeah. knockout. Boy, that, yeah. that, that could get, I'll tell you, that's forcing me to say this, and they do a good job, but that's where you really need good referees, guys that are really, because in that sport, a guy goes down, and you, that guy's jumping right on him. It's up to the referee, not the fighter. It's up to the ref because he's, he's locked in. I mean, this is a, yep. you know, you, uh, get you or you get me sport. I mean, they all yes. are. But but 
when that guy goes out, you're, you're locked in. You're not looking to see, is he okay? Is he out? He can't continue. Because these guys are so incredible with their recovery skills and durability and, and ways of coming back from, from being, you thought, gone that they can't take nothing for granted. So they, they are programmed. That when they, the guy goes down, whoa, right on, bang, bang, bang. And you just, you know, you take nothing for granted. You just got to keep going. And until the referee, you know, tells you, no, it's okay. It's over. <laughs> you know, it's, the, guy's, the guy's gone. And, and again, that's really what it is. And it's, it's nothing bad on a fighter of malice. It's just that that's the game he's in. That's the business he's in. You can't take none for granted because you, you you let the guy recover. Next thing you know, the guy's up and you're the one who's on the floor. So, boy, he was out. He was gone. And that's, again, that's that's where you need the referee to, to be right there. You know, the referee has to, he's so important. I know he's always important, but he's so important to be right there at the right time. And both of those guys just made the heavyweight limit of 265. I think they might have been like 262, 264, something like that. Curtis Blades, um, college national champion wrestler, like won at every level of the sport of wrestling. Everyone knew what was coming. After the fight, you know, he shot in. Derek Lewis caught him with an uppercut. As soon as he hit him with the uppercut, he was stiff. He just happened to be leaning forward. But by the time he fell backwards, he was stiff as a board. And Derek Lewis, people, I think, discount how quick that guy is for a guy that big with his hand speed is like Andy Ruiz, like just lightning fast hands. He was on, to your point, when Curtis Blades hit the ground, Derek Lewis hit him with two shots that I can't believe his jaw was still on his face after he punched him twice while he was stiff as a board. He punched him with two rapid-fire shots. And after the fight, it's well known that Derek Lewis is just a big puncher. He, he's not the best ground. He doesn't have a strong ground game. I think he might be like a Brazilian jiu-jitsu blue belt, which is one step above entry-level white belt. Um, and he had said after the fight, you know, I knew that my only chance was to catch him with an uppercut or catch him coming in. I, I knew I couldn't get down on the ground. He did stuff one takedown, but I think people underestimate just the overall toughness of Derek Lewis and especially the quickness because, my God, his hands were so fast that Curtis Blades tried to shoot in the first time. He got caught a couple times, hesitated, hesitated, and then the last shot, even some of the other uh, MMA fighters were commenting on... Um, uh, Francis Ngannou, as a matter of fact, said all that setup and then just come in with this basic like uh, uh, takedown attempt and Derek hit him right on the jaw and put him to sleep. Derek Lewis probably moves himself into um, title contention pending what happens with Francis and um, Stipe, but Francis is a contender there again, uh, beat the number three, uh, number three ranked heavyweight. One element I add to what you you put forward, which you, you put forward the right things. Um the element of intelligence again, anticipation, knowing your opponent, you know, knowing what to expect, and knowing the situation. Because very similar to Masvidal, when Masvidal scored that five second knockout with the flying knee on Ben Askren, which was incredible. Yep. Yeah, incredible. Another really wrestler. Was. So when he knocked out Askren, with that flying knee, that wasn't just him deciding, okay, at the moment I'm going to throw a flying knee. That The brilliance of that, the genius of that with Masvidal was that he understood the style of Askren, that he's a, mostly a guy on the mat, a wrestler, you know, 
and he's going to look to go to the floor, not stand and strike so much, and that he's going to look to go low. So he anticipated that, planned that, and as he started Askren making his move to go low, Masvidal caught him with that knee, with the flying knee. And Masvidal even set it up. He moved off to the side to make it look like he was just moving to get him to come in to make that. And then when he saw him start to go into that bend for the takedown, he came with the flying knee and it was unbelievable. It was, you know, it was explosive, destructive. And I saw the same qualities and the same scenario in this fight. I saw where Lewis understood what he had in front of him. He understood that he had a guy in blades that wants to go to the mat, wants to go to the floor, has an advantage on the floor. And once he got into a situation where he was starting to bend forward or would start to bend forward, Lewis was prepared for it. It wasn't just like, oh, I got fast hands. And you're right, with all that stuff, you're 100% right. But it was also that he prepared and was recognized that moment would come. That he prepared for that moment, knowing what the guy would do and what the guy wanted to do. And as soon as he started to bend forward, just like Masvidal came with the flying knee, he came with the right punch. He doesn't have a flying knee. So he came with the uppercut. And the uppercut is the punch you use in boxing or obviously in MMA where a guy starts to lean forward, whether it's because it's late in a fight where he's tired or because you've been hitting him in the body that he's starting to lean forward or because it's his style that he comes that way. You're prepared for it. You recognize. And that's part of the greatness in a fighter, that they don't just, when, when a guy, when a fighter lands a punch like that, a d- devastating, unbelievable, sensational, hi- highlight reel punch, it's not just luck. It's not just that, oh, he threw and he landed. It's because he knew what punch to throw at what time. And that's, that's a special, special quality and trait in a fighter that you recognize what punch to throw. You see it all the time when you see the great fighters. They throw the right punch. You say, wow, wow. He threw the right, that left hook was just the right punch. That straight right hand was just, that uppercut was just, that, yeah. Because they had the quality to be able to recognize what punch to throw at that particular time. And that's what I recognized in Lewis, that he knew what punch to throw at the right time. And that's what gave him, so yeah, it was the power, yeah, it was the speed, all that, yes, the guy didn't see it, all of that. But it was his ability to know what punch to throw at the exact right time. Kudos, kudos to a man who can do that. Congratulations to Derek Lewis. Teddy, that was a lot of uh, a lot of great insight into the fights this weekend. Guys, we're now going to jump into a conversation we recorded last week Um in preparation for the upcoming Canelo fight, we did a whole analysis on Canelo and his opponents and potential future opponents and his current opponent. So hopefully you'll enjoy this part of the conversation coming up. And uh, Teddy, thanks for the breakdown on this weekend's action. Enjoy that cup of cameo tea, Ken. <laughs> you earned it. 
Well, listen, let's talk about the uh, Canelo sweepstakes. Canelo's in action this coming weekend. He's fighting... Um, <laughs> I know I'm going to pronounce his name wrong. Avni Yild Yildirim on uh, the 27th. Uh, fight has big implications only in that if Canelo gets through that fight, as most people expect he will, he's probably going to fight uh, Billy Joe Saunders... Uh, uh, in May on Cinco de Mayo weekend, which will be a good a good uh, fight at Super Middle with uh, a lot of implications there. There's no shortage of opponents for um, Canelo after Saunders. Should he get through Yildirim and uh, Saunders, then potential matchup with um, Caleb Plant to unify all the belts. But uh, yeah, I, I don't see a lot of challenges for Canelo in this upcoming fight with Yildirim, but you know, a Canelo fight is a uh, major happening. He's his own promoter now. A lot of uh, a lot of nuances with this fight, just in 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 that it has a lot of implications in the division. What are your thoughts? Well, it's you know the they're giving him a layup. Um, you know, I'm taking nothing away from any fighter that gets in the ring. Neil Ring being you know game guy. A gutsy guy. I'm glad to see him make a payday. I'm happy to see yep. all these fighters make a payday. But that's what it's going to turn out to be. I mean, Yildirim is a is a slow footed plotter. He's right in front of you. Um, you know, he's he's as we used to say in the business, he's not hard to find. You know, <laughs> he's uh, that's not good to be not hard to find. You know, it's good if you're a friend not to be hard to find, but if you're a fighter, that's <laughs> <laughs> it's not always good. So uh, Canelo's going to knock him out, I believe, uh, probably with an uppercut. He he gets hit with uppercuts uh, really at an extreme. Uh, he's got a extreme <laughs> uh, desire to eat uppercuts, uh, and I'm I'm joking around halfway, but the guy does get hit with uppercuts. I mean, he eats uppercuts to the point to the point where he gets offended if you miss him. Oh, yeah, that's what we used to say, you know, the, the great Mickey Duff. See, if I'm quoting someone, I actually will reference that person. I will actually give them credit for what they say and not take it as so it's my thought. I do have enough of my own thoughts, I think. But um, if it's somebody else's, again, I'm, I'm going to credit that person. And the great Mickey Duff, and he was great, great boxing man, great promoter, he, great manager. He used to say, hey, this fella gets insulted if you miss him. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and he used to, he had another one too. Teddy, he's harder to miss than he is to hit. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> listen, he doesn't move his head a lot. Um, he's a game guy. I don't, we're, we're not making fun of him. We're, we're having a little bit of fun to a certain extent that we're, we're saying that this is a mismatch. We're making it pretty. It's supposed to be a mismatch, at least. Um, it's another one of those mandatory said you just, you know, you scratch your head and you say, how did this guy become the mandatory? But it's, it's the, uh, you know, it's the funny business of boxing. I'll say it again. It's the funny business of boxing where you can, you know, you have the right connections and everything else and few things we've gone into it before. I'm not going to go over it again. Uh, but you can move a guy into a mandatory. And anyway, he's a mandatory. He's going to be another one in the long list of mandatories that don't look 
like what you would expect the mandatory to look like, Ken. You know, you expect the mandatory to look like a stern test, or, or you know, a real tough challenge. And this should not be that. You never know, but this should not be that. Again, he he gets caught with uh, uppercuts. Uh, you know, he at a concerning rate. If you're involved with him, his body is right there. He's right in front of you. You could hurt him in the body. I could see Canelo doing a Mike Tyson on him where he hurts him in the body with the left hook and then he brings the uppercut or the right hand to the body and then the right uppercut up, uh, whichever way he wants to play it. But I see the body attack being there from Canelo. He's a good body puncher. We know that. Canelo in his last fight, he showed that uppercut to be a real, real efficient weapon. He should use it again. I think he should continue practicing it in camp because he's going to have an opportunity, as I just said, uh, to really get it off. Um, Yildirim, he's got two losses. He's been knocked out once. Uh, as I said, he's got heart, but he's made to order for Canelo. He stepped up in competition twice in his career, and they represent both his losses. One was to Darrell, the former champion, uh, who Darrell was winning the fight, at least for me. I don't know what the scorecards were. Then they had a headbutt, and it became a, uh, it became a, I guess they went to the scorecards, obviously, and it became a technical loss, I guess, if I remember correctly. So, but, uh, with, with Darrell. So, and the other loss, like I said, he got stopped. He also, he also has, one of his wins was a majority decision, which obviously implies it was a close fight, uh, with a you know with a pretty ordinary guy who, if I remember correctly, Lolenga Mac. Yeah, he had like fourteen losses. Am I correct, Ken? 40, 42 and fourteen against Lolong Lolanga Mock. Yes. And yes, he had a technical, a technical decision law a technical decision loss to Anthony Durrell and he got knocked out by Chris Eubank Jr. Yeah, so listen, it is what it is. Um Canelo should have his way in this fight. Uh and should be able to stop him. Uh you know, just too easy to hit, too easy to find, as I said already. This is what you get when you're a superstar, you know, and you're getting the big bucks. Uh, they give you, you know, they give you a break uh, every once in a while. So he's he's going to worth noting break. that be before he had that majority decision over Lalanga Mock, he beat a guy with a record of three and thirty-one, and this was like four fights ago. So yeah, I mean, it's, listen, he hasn't been in there. I mean, he's in for a rude awakening when he gets in there with Canelo, I'm afraid. Yeah. And listen, he handled himself pretty well with Darrell. I want to give him his due. He handled himself pretty well with Darrell, but Darrell's not the puncher or the body puncher, you know, that, that, um, Canelo is, um, but he did, he handled himself. He was losing the fight, but he handled himself. Well, he, he, he made it to the 10th well. round. Yeah, he did. Um, uh, again, it's it's a uh, you know it's one of these mandatories that it, it's not what the word mandatory is supposed to imply and suggest. The word mandatory is supposed to suggest, wow, you're being forced to fight this guy because you know he's the top guy because he's the top challenge. 
you know, he's earned that that place. And we, I think we laid it out for you where this would not, in a perfect world, and we don't live in a perfect world, obviously, especially in boxing or anywhere nowadays, but in a perfect world, somebody else would probably be the mandatory. But uh, there it is. Uh, Canelo, you know, you always hope there's no cuts, there's nothing. The guy is in there with his head a little bit. He's a guy that's right in front of you. He's aggressive. Nothing fancy, no frills. So, of course, you want to come out of there clean. You know, you want to get the win first, but you want to come out there clean without any uh, cuts, anything. Uh, so you can continue to fill that dance card that I'm going to allow you to take us down through that dance card. But Canelo does have a full dance card in front of him. Oh, for sure. Assuming he gets through um, Yildirim, he's got most likely Billy Joe Saunders on May 8th. Who Billy Joe obviously has the WBA title, WBO title. Um, you know, Billy Joe hasn't looked spectacular in his last couple of outings, but you know, according to Billy Joe, who's never short on um, quality quotes, he says, uh, you know, he needs a fight like this to get up for it. So uh, we'll see how much he can get up when he's in there with Canelo. That's an interesting fight for me. Um, it's, what do you think on that? What do you think of uh, Canelo and Billy Joe Saunders? What do you look for in that one? I think Saunders, you know, I think when you give your opinion, you give it honestly from experience. Some people are going to like it so long, they're like, it's just the way it is. And especially when you make a, an, a sort of a, you make a, a resolution to yourself from the beginning that I've been in this business, that you're not going to be controlled by agendas. You're not going to be controlled by what people like or don't like. You're not going to try to make friends, in other words. And, uh, you know, Billy Joe is, there's not one area you can say he's great. He's not a great puncher. He doesn't have great speed. You know, he's, you know, he's not the slickest guy, but he's technically solid. There's, There's nothing he really does, as much as there's nothing he does great, there's nothing that's glaring that he does bad. And that's to say something. That's, that's a, that's a good thing. And that's something to be said, if a guy can say that. That maybe nothing he does great, but there's nothing he really does glaringly bad. And he's technically solid. You know, he can use his legs a little bit. You know, he, he's defensively responsible. Uh, you know, he can go to the body. He uses the jab to set things up. You know, he paints by the colors. You know, he paints by the colors. He 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 does it in a proper way. I just don't think he's talented enough to be Canelo. I think Canelo does all of those things, but at a higher level, at a higher level of talent, you know, with, with whether it's with hand speed, whether it's with power, you know, and, and obviously the experience that Canelo has. Uh, as much as Billy Joe has a title, all questions have not been answered for Billy Joe in his mind and in his heart yet. Uh, he could say it, but until he gets in the ring on that stage where Canelo has lived for a long time, this is a kid who turned pro when he was 16, Canelo. Got to give him a lot of credit. He's continued to improve. That's what I love about Canelo, and he's never gotten himself in trouble. I, 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 you got to give him credit. Whether you like him, you hate him, whatever. Peppermint, you know. Aside from the PED accusations where he was suspended for PEDs. That's true. You're right. That's true. And I forgot about that. And and I 
I catch myself on that one. You're right, 100%. 100%. That was a little ridiculous when he said, you know, uh, I got... I got bad beef. Tainted beef. I, I got tainted beef. That's a well. Little... He said that t- he said the tainted beef because it's it, apparently it's common practice to treat cattle with uh, clenbuterol, which is an asthma drug, a, a vasodilator that athletes use as performance enhancers, both as a performance enhancer and as a masking agent to other more potent drugs like testosterone and different steroids. So yeah, he, you, you, it, it, it's people have used that excuse successfully in the past. Personally, I'm a huge Canelo fan. I don't buy it. I think he got caught. It is what it is. I don't think he's the only one, but I just... No, he's not the only one. I think it's prevalent in the sport, to be honest. Massive. I think it's massive. We don't have the right testing for it to be played. You got to ask someone, do you want to be tested? No, I'm not going (laughs) to. You can test me a couple weeks before the fight. It's not mandatory, and and you're going to say, oh, we're handling the problem? No, you're not. No, you're not. So Teddy, it's hard enough. It's hard enough to catch guys that are in the Olympic testing protocol, which is the most stringent, and they're still catching those guys. That I think that the 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 biochemists and the people that are advising some of the top athletes. I don't know necessarily how prevalent they are in combat sports, but just in general, I think those guys are so far ahead of the curve because to develop a test for some of these newer drugs, you have to have someone tell the testers what the guys are taking. Otherwise, they don't have a test for it. So if you develop something that looks like a steroid, but it has, but it's a new compound and it has a slightly different molecular structure, how are you going to test for that? Anyway, I don't know. I'll finish it off again. It's a problem with our sport. It's a problem. And, um, but anyway, uh, to say that it was tainted beef, that's, 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 that's a little bit tough. I mean, you're making all that money. Uh, go go buy Colby beef. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah, if you're going to say something silly, I'm going to say something silly back. I'm sorry. That's the way it works sometimes in life. But look, I like the guy for everything else I said. You're right. You caught me on that one. I forgot about that. But um, everything else, the way he, you haven't heard nothing bad about him uh, other than that, that's pretty, that's not good. But uh, as far as his treating people or, you know, he's always seems to be respectful and you don't see him in a, in a whole mud hill of uh, problems and, and you know, controversies other than what we just touched on. Uh, Embarrassing himself. Seems to be it. Seems to be a good family guy. He's not out there getting in trouble for domestic violence and and making crazy comments about oh. you know different sexes and races and just he just he's just like handles himself like a professional outside of the ring. Like I said, it's just- I, I listen. I I appreciate that. And and like I said, he's been doing this since he's sixteen. Um, he's made a lot of money. He, when he signed that deal with the Zone initially, I think it was three hundred sixty-five million dollars at that point. I think it was bigger than Mike Trout's uh, contract, the baseball player who signed a huge contract. I, I think it was the biggest contract in sports at that time. I mean, and and to not really be involved in anything like we said and have hearing all kinds of bad things, not hearing all kinds of bad things about him, with all that money starting when he was 16, building his way up, you got to give him credit. The same way as I as I give uh, LeBron James credit. There's a kid who came into the NBA when he was 18 years old, out of high school, and he's made all these zillions of dollars and all, all the fame and everything that's been on top of him. And 
he's never embarrassed himself or his family. So I, I, I give, I, I like to point that out. Um, the steroid thing is, is definitely an issue uh, that the sport has to do a better job with that. Um, but I like the way he's continued to get better technically. His, his trainer has done a really good job with him. See, that was one of the things. I know I'm going to get some haters out there when I say this, but that's okay. Um, what's what's a day without a hater? You know what I mean? It's like a boring day, right? You could you could announce that you found a cure for cancer and someone would still find something to crap on you about it. Yeah, I mean, what's a day without a hater? I mean, really, it, it, it's you, you got to have it sometimes. It keeps, keeps the blood flowing. And, but Triple G, and I loved him, and but when he was at the top of the mountain, he was beating a lot of junior middleweights, a lot of guys from Europe, a lot of uh, guys that were already past their peak, guys that had already lost at the top, had already be been beaten at the next level. He went and knocked them out. Like I said, a lot of small guys. Then he fights Danny Jacobs and a few other middleweights. I'm not saying he got exposed, but he got brought down to earth a little bit. What I'm saying about Canelo is this, uh, about Triple G. He was a silver medalist, had 400 amateur fights, whatever the heck it was, knew how to fight, um, real good chin, good puncher, aggressive, fan-friendly. He had a great contact with those guys at HBO, throwing money at him. Uh, maybe that's why they don't do boxing anymore over there. They treat so much money. Right? <laughs> but whatever. And, and he goes, he, he builds up this great career, this great legacy, and then he fights Canelo. And look, I'll, I'll say it again. I thought that he beat Canelo in both those fights. But he was always the same guy. He he was always a good puncher, aggressive, you know, a uh, strong guy. But I never saw with him and his trainer at the time. He's with a new trainer now. But I never saw him learning anything new. I never saw any change. With Canelo, I did. That's all I'm saying. I, I yeah. saw Canelo get better. I saw progress. I saw learning, improving. And um, I give him credit. I give the people with him credit. I give him credit for that. He's on top of the heat now. Uh, I think he handled Billy Joel, as I said. Uh, Billy Joel is a nice, solid guy um, in his realm. But he's going to go outside his realm. And, and I think that a lot of this dance card, I'm, I'm going to let you go to the dance card, but I think a lot of it really suits Canelo. It plays to Canelo really well. It really does. Where he can look like Fred Astaire. By the way, he was a great dancer. <laughs> well, assuming that he gets past Billy Joe, it's next up in uh, rotation is Caleb Plant. I like Caleb Plant a lot. Uh, Nashville native. Uh, I think he lives in Vegas now, but I like that one. What do you think of that matchup for Canelo? Very similar to what I just said uh, about Billy Joel. Uh, there's not one area where Plant, you know, he, he wasn't one of these Olympian type fighters coming out of the amateurs. You know, he's a nice, solid kid. Um, he didn't have all that magnificent amateur experience and all those medals and you know, all those accomplishments coming out. Not that you need them, but I'm just saying, he's not a guy that one area, he's great. He's technically pretty solid. There are a few, there are a few warts 
that show up uh, in his technical game that he needs to probably maybe get more disciplined with his hand placement, more consistent with that in certain areas. Uh, he could be available for right hand if the guy is uh, knows what he's doing and delivering right hands maybe. There are certain things that maybe he can uh, sharpen up, uh, you know, cross those T's a little bit better, dot some of those eyes a little. But he's a pretty good technical fighter. There's nothing that you can say he does horrible, but there's nothing you can say. Same thing with Billy Joel. Billy Joel's a, maybe a little more physical, a little more physical, but there's nothing that you can say that he does, you know, great or at the level that Canelo does. And again, he's got a title, good for him. Uh, good for the sport, good, to, you know, as long as uh, these guys conduct themselves right and hopefully they fight competitive fights, all of it's good. But he's not, he's not a guy that I think is a threat to Canelo. Yeah. Um, there are guys that I think are threats. I think Benavides could be a threat. I uh, and listen, I say it the same. I think he's picking the right guys. Usually, these guys like Mayweather too, and I love Mayweather. And hey, you know, fifty and all, and and made all this money and everything else. I know one of the fights was against a UFC fighter, whatever. But this is a guy who's Mayweather's great and a great defensive fighter. He beat all the guys during his time that he had to beat including Canelo, and, but he's also smart, not only in the ring, he's got a good IQ outside the ring. He's a good manager. He picks the spot, really smart. I think Canelo is doing that. I think I'm, it's not a knock. It's not a knock. It's just that here on our show, you're going to, we try to give you the whole picture. He, just like Mayweather picked his spots real well, he still had to deliver the goods and he delivered the goods. He had to get the W. Canelo gets the W, but he picks his spots pretty damn good. He's pretty smart at that. And I think that he's saying, I'm not saying he's afraid of Benavides. I'm not saying that at all. Um, I, we could, could create plenty of controversy in our show uh, with, without, um, without even trying sometimes, you know, but I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying that he's picking guys that I think he has a pretty good advantage over and makes sense for him to pick and they have titles and he can sell it and they can sell it. But I think Benavides out of the super middleweights, the super was sticking to that right now because he jumps all over the place. He's middleweight, he's super middleweight, he's light heavyweight. So you can go into a lot of different uh, areas with Canelo. But with the super middleweight, I think Benavides for me, I'd rather see that only, and, and I'm glad these guys are making money and fight Billy Joe, fight plan. Good. I'll watch them. But I think there's a little more risk and benefit is because of the power, the size, the physicality. And, and I'm not afraid to say that Billy Joe, and to a certain degree, plant, I think Billy Joe might be a little ahead of plant, but to a certain degree, that they're, they're better technical fighters. I'm not, I'm not afraid to say that. Oh, Teddy, you're saying that better videos would be more of a risk, yet you're saying that the two guys that wouldn't be as much a risk are actually better in certain areas. Yeah, I'm saying that. But in the area that counts in this fight the most, 
the physical area or one of the areas that counts the most, the ability to hurt Canelo, to pull off that upset. I think Benavides has a better chance because he is more physical. He is bigger. He is stronger. He is a better puncher. So for me, I'd rather see that because of what I just said, because there's a little more mystery there. There's there's a little bit more of a chance that you could you could get something unexpected there, and and that that would intrigue me a little bit. And I also I, I throw it out there, you know, as long as we're talking dance cards, if he went down to middleweight, I'd like to see him fight Charlo. I think Charlo. Oh, now that's an interesting fight. But, but that listen, I'm not, again, I have to qualify this. I'm not saying he's afraid. He hasn't been afraid of nobody, but he's smart. And I don't think he's going to go there. I don't think he's going to go there. And, and listen, Charlie would have to do something to make himself that guy to bring in them a little bit that he's for the money, you know, because that's part of yeah, it too. Of you got to sell yourself. That's part of it too. And when they had that card, what was it on Showtime? Uh, the numbers weren't too good. Matter of fact, they were pretty The Charlo pay-per-view at like $75? It was very bad. It was very bad. No, they lost a lot of money. And that's another guy. Hey, listen, the executives keep their jobs. I don't know how they do, but they do. You know, they keep their jobs. I I don't know. But, um, but hey, you know, that would be, I'd like to see that fight. We're probably not going to see that fight. Um, Another fight we're not going to see. And listen, I understand it again. Andrade, you're not going to see that either because Andrade's not a guy to bring that kind of audience, to bring that right. the, the the green stuff, the green stuff. He, he, he'd be a tough guy to fight. His style, he was an Olympian, his length, you know, everything else. He's, 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 he's a little scary, so he's going to be careful and he's going to look to kind of you. Um, he's, a, he's a difficult guy. But that's not what is going to get the fight made. That's not what's going to get the fight made. You have to bring the money. You have to bring the audience with you. Uh, you have to bring uh, entertainment value. And being that Canelo's the guy making the picks here, <laughs> you know, Canelo's the one who's, who's true some science here. Remember when we were kids, we used to play those pickup games in, in, in the schoolyard, and you were the guy picking? <laughs> you right? I'd pick him. I, that was nice, right? I'd pick him. It was nice as long as you weren't the last guy well, picked. Well, yeah, like, oh, you sons of it. I'm uh, going sh- to show you guys. Tell, well, Canelo's the guy picking in the schoolyard. He's the guy oh, picking. Oh, for sure. And listen, he's going to pick the right guy for him. So I, um, and then forget about light heavyweights. You want to you really get me, like, really crazy and say, oh, please don't tease me. Because it would only be a tease. But how much would you like to see him with better beef? Oh, oh forget it. Oh, forget I mean, it. Uh, he beat, he beat, what's his name for light heavyweight? You know, Col- uh, Kovalev. Kovalev, right? Uh, the G- the boy genius, right? He, he beat, he beat <laughs> him for the light heavyweight title. But how much would you like to see him fight better beef for one of those guys? I but think anyway. that that's a, I, I no, can't no, it's imagine. Not, it's not happening. I'm talking. I'm talking foolishness here. I'm talking. Imagine, imagine if Canelo gets through Saunders and Plant, and better be Joe Smith wins. Better be of and and Smith win. The winner of has all the light heavyweight belts minus the Bevo. Love belt. to see it. And and Canelo has all the belts at super middle, and they meet up. Ooh, probably not going to see it. Oof. But but I tell you one thing. 
at that point in his career and his life, of course, he's got enough money by then, you know, for 14 lifetimes. At that point, if it truly, truly, truly is about what's inside you that you want to test yourself against the best of the best, if it truly is, and I'm not saying it's not, yeah. I think part of, I think he's got some of that. I think he's got some of that in him, Canelo. I really I do. do. Too. And it's about no, I do too. And it's really about that and about legacy. Oh, boy. <laughs> then, you, then you go and you say, get him signed up. That's since put yeah. an end to this. And he's his own promoter now. Canelo Promotions is uh, licensed, I believe, in Vegas. I know they've applied for a license, so that could be very interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're gonna you're gonna go to these other guys first. That's you know that's that's yeah. that's the roadmap. You know that's the roadmap. Yeah. It's a roadmap that there's 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 not too many pitfalls in that roadmap. There's not too many. Uh, broken bridges that you can fall off. You know what I mean? There, there's not nope. too many cliffs <laughs> uh, on that road that you're going to go off the side. You know, there's not too many giant potholes in, in that road. That's that's all. That's all. It's interesting that the uh, boxing is kind of mirroring uh, mainstream life right now when you've got the haves and the have-nots. Canelo has everything. Every fight he fights is for tens of millions. And then you've got some of these other guys that would be psyched to get a million dollars and they're title holders. You know, it's, um, so right, it's an man. interesting dilemma for I've the guys that, challenging. I've said that for years about boxing. I said to a reporter years ago, when I said it, he was like, what? I said, yeah, I said it. I said that boxing is like communism. He was like, what? I said, yeah, you heard me. You got, you know, it's supposed to be in theory. Everyone's supposed to have some. No. In reality, you got the guys up here, the rich, and then you got the guys, unfortunately, down here. Nothing in the middle. No equity. You know, uh, no no proper equity. No, uh, no, no, no balance. Uh, you got the rich, you got the the people that are that are down that don't have anything and there's a big gap big gap well boxing has been that way boxing's been that way you got the rich you, you look at the mayweathers and you say oh my god he made 300 million dollars in one night oh my god oh what a sport what a sport oh everyone's rich no no not everyone's rich no and he earned everything smart guy but i'm just saying you got the guys that are rich, and then you got the guys out there that are that are fighting for two thousand dollars, you know, in some hole somewhere, and they're going home busted up. You know, I mean, it's it's a tough sport. Probably getting robbed out of a decision. You know, you got guys fighting for five thousand, going ten rounds. They're going to be on a losing side of it, and and then ten thousand twenty. You know, you can go up the ladder, but uh, it's a it's a long way from. The means a long, long way. And that's it. That's part of it. That's part of it. Well, Canelo, like I said, he's he we've we've said this a bunch of times on the show, but uh he's the golden goose. He's the one everyone wants to fight. Win or lose, you're gonna get paid to fight Canelo, and he's always getting paid. That guy draws a crowd. And rightfully so, he, he he delivers every time out. I mean, even in the loss to Mayweather, it was a great fight. He shows up to fight and he brings it. Yeah, well, I, I would argue it wasn't a great fight. It was a whitewash. It was a one-sided fight. It was, I thought Mayweather, other 
other than you and that one judge that they should have thrown in jail. <laughs> um, nobody thought nobody thought it was a great fight. Uh, but so I should clarify. I think he was like 14 years old when he took the fight, and and Mayweather was at his prime. But my point is, he just gets in there with everyone. And he puts forth the game effort. He's uh, oh yeah. He, 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 I love him. I mean, his his fights never really disappoint. He 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 comes to fight. And if it is one-sided, he tends to get him out of there. I mean, we talked about with uh, Triple G in his last fight that you thought he might have been carrying the opponent for a little while. I, you never see Canelo. I, I don't recall seeing Canelo carry anyone. He no. gets in there and he starts firing. Yeah, no, he, listen, like I said, I give uh, his trainer, Espinosa. Um, Eddie, Eddie Reynoso. Eddie Reynoso. I, I give him a lot of credit. They've done a, they've done a real good job to a certain degree you're a parent when you're a trainer. You you have to teach them the right things. And you also have to teach them how to live the right way too. You help them learn that, how to treat people right, how to, you know, be gracious and grateful for things and to become a man. You help them with that as well as all the technical things that you're responsible for to teach them so they don't get hurt in the ring and that they apply their trade at the highest level. So he's done that. He's done that in all dimensions of what a trainer is responsible for doing in all dimensions of it. So I, I get they've it. got quite the uh, they've got quite the stable there now with a uh, friend of the show, Ryan Garcia. He's developing nicely, but they've got a big test with uh, Andy Ruiz. Can they get Andy Ruiz on a disciplined uh, training regimen, get the weight down and get him back to uh, back in the hunt for the heavyweight title shot? Be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I mean, I didn't like the opponent that they were talking about fighting. I, I was just concerned since you brought it up. Um, they were talking about fighting Chris Ariola, who I love. He's been nothing but yeah. a warrior his whole damn career, and um, and he 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 doesn't know anything except to behave like a fighter and to go in there and go after you. But he gets hit too much, and he's been hit too much for too long. Uh, and I, I just didn't want to see that. They were talking about his first fight back being being Ariola, and I just didn't want to see that because I don't want Ariola. Uh, maybe ten years ago, fine, but now I don't want Ariola, you know, to take any more punishment. But that's not my that's not my say. Ariola is such a nice guy. I saw him at, at his fight against uh, Adam Kolonaki at the Barclays Center. So I was there super early for like the first two or three fights. There might have been six people in the arena. And, and um, Oh, you helped him in that fight. You were like a corner man. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, of course. Tell the fans about <laughs> that. No, really, because it's, it's, it's pretty good. The Ariola one? Oh, yeah, or, or the Andy Ruiz when I helped him uh, win the title against Anthony Joshua when I helped him loosen up? Yeah, tell him that. Uh, oh, yeah. Ruiz was in there, you know, kind of like a deer in headlights. They kept him waiting in the ring like the champ tends to do. They yeah. have uh, Andy in there super early. And Andy was standing there, and uh, Rob was with me. He can confirm. And uh, AJ's taking his time getting to the ring, and Chris is just kind of, um, sorry, Andy Ruiz is just kind of standing there cold not really throwing punches and it was a quiet for a second 
And I said, hey, Andy. And he looked right at me and Rob, and I said, keep moving, stay loose. And he like kind of gave me a wink, started shadow boxing. Rob will tell you. No, and no, Rosie I... Perez was standing there. Yeah. And sure enough, he started getting loose. Next thing you know, he's the unified heavyweight world champion. Did, did you get any credit from afterwards? Did he like- uh, they put up a little plaque at the hall, at the Hall of Fame, just saying, you know, assistant trainer of the year. Uh, you just little accolades. You, well earned, well earned. Well but Ariola, Ariola, when he's getting ready for the corner yeah, fight, yeah. he um his his wife and kids were sitting right next to me ringside, and uh like I said, super early, he hadn't started got, getting in the locker room and loosening up. He came out, said hello to his um his wife and his kids, and he saw me and recognized me from the show. He said, "Hey, what's up, man? Loved the show." Guy couldn't have been a nicer guy. Just like out there with the people. He's fighting in a couple hours and the fans are coming. He's taking pictures with people. Just couldn't be nicer. Just a real, a, a genuine good guy. You know what I mean? Uh, he's a great So yeah, to your point, you'd hate to see him in there with someone who's a young, hungry lion. His best days are definitely behind him, but such a nice guy. You just love to see yeah, him get in there and, and, and get an upset. You know, but hey, great guy. Well, I think that's all we've got for this week, Teddy. I mean, unless you've got anything else regarding the um, Canelo sweepstakes. Um, uh, I think that's all we have. Light light schedule this week. Uh, nothing big on the calendar until we get um, on February 27th. There's a couple of... Um, there's a couple fights coming up that we'll want to keep an eye on. There's some good UFC action coming up. Uh, they announced oh, yeah. the card Israel Adesanya Ugh. fighting Jan Bukovic for the light heavyweight title. There's uh, um, Amanda Nunes title fight. There's some awesome, awesome events coming up. Um, on the boxing calendar, we've got on February 27th, we've got two fights. We've got Kyle Frampton and... Um, Jamel Herring. It'll be interesting to see how Jamel rebounds after the last fight because, I mean, you know, a little bit of controversy there. You could say he might have, I hate to say quit, but he might have been looking for a way out of that fight when he found out he could, you know, score a, t um, a disqualification of the opponent. I forget who he was fighting. But anyway, Jamel Herring back in action against Kyle Frampton in London on the 27th. And uh, again, that's Canelo and um, Yildirim also same night. Uh, interestingly, that Canelo that Canelo fight's going to be back on the zone, even though he's no longer um, contractually obligated to fight with them. I'd be surprised if they don't promote and air his fights, given the relationship they have. Um, so yeah, a couple things on the horizon. I look forward to seeing all those fights, and I look forward to seeing Adesanya. Um, am I pronouncing his name properly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Israel Adesanya is fighting Jan Blakovich. Light heavyweight title. I just think that every once in a while you, you get to see a special guy. And I just think he's special. Uh, you know, yeah. for a lot of reasons. You know, his physical talent, his God-given talent, his, uh, the, I mean, there's certain things that you can't control. You can control certain things, but you can't control, you know, your genetics. That, that is born, and he was born with special genetics uh, where he's, he's a special athlete, and mentally, he puts that part with it. And when you put that part with a very, very exceptional, special athlete, you got something that you don't see too often. And you got a guy who walks to the beat of his own drummer, so to speak, where he makes it up as he does it, like Cus used to do. 
and talk to me about, saying the great ones can make it up as they do it. And they, they change things. They pioneer things. And I think he's one, uh, the same way as I thought Silver, the great UFC fighter, and John Jones, you know, uh, all those guys uh, are, are real special. But this guy, Adesanya, I think that you're going to get a chance to see some real magnificent stuff. Yep, he's fighting. Uh, so he's the current middleweight champ, 20-0. and 0. He's he fighting John Blakovich. He moved up to Yeah, who's he's fighting Jan, Jan Blakovich, who's now the light heavyweight title. So if Izzy wins this fight, he'll be the reigning two division champion in the UFC, which is has been done, but it's very rare. Um, uh, the other fights on that card that I wanted to touch on: were Amanda Nunes fighting Megan Anderson. Uh, again, that's also a title fight, um, women's featherweight, and then you've got Petra Jan. Uh, fighting Aljamain Sterling for the Bantamweight title. Another great fight. Man, three awesome title fights in one card. Like I said, the, the card that we saw last week, um, I thought on paper wasn't necessarily a great pay-per-view, but it ended up being good action. This one on paper is a barn burner. This yeah. is worth the price of admission, I'll tell you. Any one of those fights could have well, a card. Well, might be the greatest woman fighter of all time. Oh, right? sure. Yeah. Two-division two champion. I mean, she's two division champion, active in both divisions. Yeah, she's unbelievable. She's special, as I just said about Adesanya. But uh, yeah, that that fight with Adesanya, I mean, he's fighting George Foreman. <laughs> I mean, he's fighting a guy who can bang. I mean, you talk about pure power. Just, just now, I always say punches are are born and not made. And and that guy's that guy is a born puncher. He he is just power. Just, just power, and um, it's going to be up to Adesanya to basically uh, make sure that power does not uh, detonate that night. Yeah, we'll do a full breakdown on this card. I just wanted to touch on it though because it was announced uh, last week on the UFC card and. Blakovich coming off a knockout win of Dominic Reyes, who gave John Jones all kinds of troubles in a uh, five-round decision, and Blakovich just blasted him out. Yeah. So that's a good matchup. I mean, two big guys. <laughs> Izzy coming up from middleweight, so that'll be fun to see. Well, um, Teddy, thanks for doing this. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing just Canelo in action. is always exciting. Um, love to see what happens down the road. He has a lot of, uh, lot of drama always in the... Uh, when Canelo fights. So unless you've got anything else, we'll sign off. Oh, that's it. All Just right. looking forward to seeing that beard continue to grow and um, <laughs> catch up with you on the next one. All right. Thanks guys. Thanks everyone for being with us. Take care.